Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the state health department reporting that suicides were down throughout the state in 2020. It's National Salvation Army Week, and a Golden Gopher diver has dreams of being in the Summer Olympics. But first... Lawmakers are working through the weekend, but it's pretty clear they will not finish the state budget by Monday's midnight deadline. MNN's Bill Werner has an update for us. Scott, the key players started sending those signals midweek. I think as a minimum... Certainly by Monday, we should have a clear understanding of of where our principles are around the budget. Governor Tim Walz, Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka said... It's the policy issue that could make it go longer. Specifically, Democrats wanting police reform, while Republicans are demanding the governor relinquish his COVID emergency powers. One major issue, though, might be off the table. After Majority Leader Ryan Winkler told MNN on Wednesday that House Democrats are basically backing off their push for a fifth income tax bracket, which would have increased state taxes on the wealthiest Minnesotans and large corporations. I don't think we need to do that. I think we can make our commitments on an ongoing basis to schools and health care uh, without that fifth tier at this point in time. Long term, we will need it in order to make the budget balance. But for right now, federal funds will get us through. We called uh, today for the Democrats to drop their demand for tax increases. I'm, I'm glad that that worked and that they finally have come to their senses. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. Governor Walls said the income tax increase Republicans are objecting to. Impacts 0.7% of Minnesotans. The package I put together cut taxes for the vast majority of Minnesotans. Along with Republicans wanting the governor to relinquish his COVID emergency powers, the biggest sticking point in budget negotiations now appears to be how to spend billions of dollars of federal COVID relief money that is coming into Minnesota. Senate Republican Majority Leader Gazelka says the legislature must have a role. The legislative branch needs to spend that with the governor. The governor should not spend that all by himself. I'm more than willing to work with them, but I want to be clear. This is one-time money. I don't think it's helpful to have those lines in the sand. Walls has argued additional tax revenue is necessary to address Minnesota's long-term needs. House Republican Minority Leader Dowd says he has to believe the governor realizes if he decides how to spend federal COVID relief money without input from lawmakers. That the legislature is not going to uh, be very keen on giving him anything that he wants in the state budget. If lawmakers and the governor do not wrap up the budget by midnight on Monday, a special session will be needed. There's talk about June 14th when lawmakers would presumably have to come back anyway to have the opportunity to veto Governor Walz's expected extension of his COVID emergency powers. Democrats would be unlikely to go along with that. Now, it bears mentioning that a mid-June special session is only two weeks before the end of the state's fiscal year. And if there is no budget by then, it means state government shuts down July 1st. Republican Majority Leader Gazelka said a couple weeks ago that if necessary, the Senate will pass a simple lights-on budget to avoid that. There have been people that have threatened that, uh, both in the House and Senate, that if they don't get their way, they're closing Minnesota down. That is not our goal. If lawmakers cannot agree on a lights-on budget, presumably Republicans could blame Democrats and the governor for shutting down state government, an accusation they would likely return in kind. 
The Minnesota House this week on a vote of 72 to 61 after five plus hours of debate passed a bill to legalize recreational marijuana, which Governor Walls might sign, but it will never get to his desk this legislative session. The marijuana bill in the Senate is up in smoke. That's not going to happen. Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, North Branch Representative Ann New Brindley warned under the bill teachers, for example. They can go out on their lunch break, use cannabis, come back into the classroom and teach our kids for the afternoon. Bill sponsor, Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded. Employers, like school districts, would never permit a system to be in place where teachers are impaired in the workplace and no teacher, frankly, would seek to do it. And if they did, they would be subject to discipline. I want there to be no question about that. A few Republicans supported the bill. Blaine Representative Nolan West said states that have legalized marijuana have seen border seizures go way down because American businesses are profiting instead of drug cartels. Republicans love to talk about border security. This will help with border security. But Wilmer Republican Dave Baker said people really do die from marijuana. They really do because it starts with marijuana and it goes on to other things. And Governor Walls on Friday ended Minnesota's statewide mask mandate, but urged Minnesotans who are not fully vaccinated to follow new CDC guidance and continue to wear face coverings indoors. It is also still recommended that everyone, vaccinated or not, wear masks in medical settings and on public transit. Walls says some organizations will still require it. The governor was asked why didn't he keep the mask mandate in place for those who have not been fully vaccinated. Because we get into a situation that I think is untenable, we would have got into a vaccine passport. And I know there's a validity around this argument, but it is highly politically charged. And I think we're at a point right now where we've asked all along and now we're really asking that for people to show respect for their neighbors and the personal responsibility. With the governor as he made the announcement, State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm said she has really mixed feelings about lifting the statewide mask mandate. My ambivalence about this or my concern about this is that there's still an awful lot of people in Minnesota who are not vaccinated. We're making great progress. We're at 61% of the 16 plus uh, population, but 61% is not nearly enough to keep this virus suppressed. Malcolm contends eliminating the mask mandate gets rid of the sense of urgency and makes it easier for people to say the pandemic is over. The governor stressed lifting the mask mandate does not mean people do not need to have the COVID vaccine. Get vaccinated. These variants are still out there. We are still the fourth highest state with uh, infection rates. That number is dropping off pretty precipitously the last several days as we thought it would, but um, we still need to manage this. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you 
can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A new report just out from the Minnesota Department of Health shows that 723 Minnesotans died by suicide in 2020. That's a decrease from 830 in 2019, which was a record number. I recently spoke with the health department's Dr. Stefan Gingrich and Tanya Carter about the report. I think in terms of the data and the the data presented in the report, the overall number of suicide deaths preliminarily for 2020 is lower than 2019, um, but we have seen this uh, long-term increase in the number of suicide deaths in Minnesota, um, and I think that's, that's the overarching takeaway. Now, obviously, we've had a, a year of dealing with COVID, so I think that the, the fact that there's been a decrease is somewhat of a surprise. What do we attribute that decrease to? Do we know? I think there are many hypotheses that are being investigated into various places, not just in Minnesota. Um, but at this point, we're still really investigating why we've seen a decline in suicides over this last year. Um, some of our um, hypotheses, per se, in prevention work that we have here in Minnesota is our Cognito at Risk for all school staff. So this is a training that helps prepare school staff to support their students and recognize when a student may need help. Um, We also have our zero suicide framework that continues to be implemented within health and behavioral health systems across the state. And the zero suicide framework, it really um, helps to ensure patients in crisis receive um, continuity of care, including follow-up. And then Minnesota has um, a real robust um, array of crisis services. Um, including our four locally um, call-based centers for our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So this really means that callers um, will be less likely to have a wait time to talk to someone. I know one thing that we uh, focus on year after year is the youth suicide rate. What what are we finding in Minnesota for 2020 for, for people 24 and under? So in terms of the total number of suicides in that age group, uh, there were fewer in 2020 than in 2019. So that's good news. Definitely. And again, do we do we have anything in particular that we can attribute that decrease to? Again, I think um, it goes back to some of the prevention work that we have been doing across the state with um, implementing the Cognito at Risk for school staff, as well as um, a program called Friend to Friend that allows students an opportunity to take an avatar-based program to really um, help them to identify when somebody may be having thoughts of suicide or even having a mental health concern. Um, we've also done a lot of pre- promotion about staying connected and reaching out to your family, friend, or a loved one. And if you could, I think one of the more interesting aspects of, of this report is that we've got the decline in suicides, although we have an increase in alcohol and drug-related deaths. So how do we differentiate between the suicides and alcohol and drug-related deaths, and, and how do we uh, sort of explain that, that gap between the difference between the two? So in terms of differentiating between the two, um, that's largely based on the findings in the death certificate and how that's how that's uh, completed. Um, If the manner of death is deemed to be a suicide, generally that's where we count the suicides. If it's not a suicide, 
Um, but there's some other indication from medical codes that it's a drug overdose is what caused the death or that this death was attributable to alcohol exclusively. Um, that's when we consider those drug overdoses or alcohol attributable death. And Tanya, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering now that we have this information, what do we do with it moving forward in terms of prevention here in Minnesota? So as we continue to look at the data, um, we'll, we'll, we definitely will let the um, data drive our prevention efforts. So looking at um, greater Minnesota as well as our seven-county metro area um, and really deep, doing a deep dive into the counties that have been most affected by suicide. And are we seeing anything um, that is concerning with regard to the numbers within certain counties throughout Minnesota? Does anything in particular stand out from this report? For 2020, we haven't done a county-level analysis yet. Um, that's partly because the, the census numbers for each county aren't available. And when you get into those counties specifically, you really need to be able to adjust for the, the different sizes of populations in those counties. Um, historically, there have been um, similar numbers of suicides in greater Minnesota um, and uh, the Twin Cities metro, and so it's definitely something that affects the entire state, and, and we need to you know, spread those prevention efforts across the state. And if we do happen to have any listeners that uh, are suffering from depression or we have loved ones that are concerned about someone, uh, where is a, is a resource that they can turn to get help um, as soon as possible? Yes, most definitely. Um, Minnesota has mobile crisis teams in all um, 87 counties. And then we also have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that I would encourage anybody and everybody to reach out to at any given time. We um, have support available. And I just want to make sure that everyone is aware of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number. It's 1-800-273-8255. Thank you to my guests, Tanya Carter and Stephen Gingrich from the Minnesota Department of Health. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It's National Salvation Army Week. Tasha Radel has more. It's a week to be thankful for the great services the Salvation Army provides to those in need across our great state. Joining me today is spokesman Dan Furry. Dan, let's start with the history of the Salvation Army and when it formed. Absolutely, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with you today, Tasha. Uh, National uh, Salvation Army Week actually started back in 1954. It was declared by then-President Dwight Eisenhower uh, to recognize the work of uh, the Salvation Army and and also not just the, the Army itself, but their volunteers and and supporters. I know this past year was difficult for many during the COVID-19 pandemic, and I understand the Salvation Army saw and are continuing to see high demand for the services you provide. Yes, well, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. It has been a challenge for everyone, honestly, but with the economic impact of, of the pandemic, and it started immediately in March when of last year when businesses started to shut down we we had an immense increase in requests for services um uh, our a lot of our service centers uh, had it, uh, needed to close 
from a standpoint of not allowing people inside, but we still uh, were providing services, and we would we would do that in a, in a, a safe, contactless way. But even for folks who needed, you know, rent or utility assistance or uh, some other uh, assistance, uh, we would do that by phone. Um, and still be able to provide it. But where we saw the biggest increase was in in food assistance. Um, you know, uh, there's so many people that uh, are, are living, um, uh, I'll say it, paycheck to paycheck. And when when that channel of of income dries up so unexpectedly, as it did for hundreds of thousands of people, um, they had nowhere to go to uh, for food and to buy food. So we saw a huge impact, and what was it was challenging. It was a lot of work for the for the last year. But what was great is we had some really stalwart volunteers and and wonderful donors who stepped up to to be able to support us in in buying food and in accepting donations of food. Um, and so we were able to meet that need. We. Overall, we saw a uh, 140% increase in services, uh, but but in some locations, the the demand was extremely noticeable. Um, I, I use the uh, West Seventh location in St. Paul as an example. They uh, saw their food assistance requests increase uh, eight to tenfold, and and they were serving upwards of uh, seven, maybe sometimes 800 families a day. It's it slowed down some, and and uh, so we're not at the peaks that we were during the height of the pandemic as people are going back to work, um, but there's still a lot of folks out there, and we're actually bracing for um, uh, the time when rent and mortgage moratoriums end because we think there's going to be so many people who are behind on their rent and mortgages that they're not going to be able to catch up. And there might be uh, some dire situations for a lot of people when that happens. I know the Salvation Army holds its biggest fundraising drive over the holidays through the Red Kettle campaign. But are there still ways to give this time of year? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, The easiest way to give is just to go online at SalvationArmyNorth.org. And, and make a donation. And the great thing about doing that is no matter where they are in Minnesota, uh, based on their zip code when they, they make a donation, the money goes to that county. So, so the, the contributions stay in the communities where the people live. And so you're not, you're not donating money to a large organization per se. The money you donate in St. Louis Park stays in in Hennepin County. The money you donate in in Todd County stays in Todd County. I know for some folks, making a monetary donation might not be possible, but you mentioned that there are other ways to give, and that's through volunteering. Have you been able to secure enough volunteers throughout the state? Um, We saw a, a decrease in the number of volunteers, as you might expect during the pandemic. Uh, we we uh, did strive to make sure we created contactless and safe ways for people to volunteer, and, and I think we did a really good job of that. But now that as we're starting to come out of the pandemic, um, there is a, a really intense need for volunteers all across Minnesota. 
And so if, if you're thinking you want to make a difference in your community, uh, you, and it's, it's not, it doesn't take a lot of time, it's, and it's not overly challenging, but there's all kinds of roles that people can do. So I would encourage people to think about helping others in their community and, and uh, volunteering at the Salvation Army. Thanks again to my guest Dan Furry with the Salvation Army of Minnesota. MNN would also like to thank the thousands of volunteers across the state. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher National Championship winning diver Sarah Bacon of Indianapolis is one step away from securing a spot on the U.S. roster for the Summer Olympic Games in Japan. She's one of the favorites to earn a spot in the 3-meter individual and 3-meter synchronized diving events when the Olympic trials take place next month in her hometown. Here's MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm's chat with Bacon. For diving, you have to earn what they call quota spots. So those are earned at World Championships and at World Cup. Um, I went to World Championships in 2019 and actually failed to qualify Team USA, the quota spot at that meet. So um, came back this year in 2021, and in order to earn the quota spot, me and my singer partner had to be top six in the synchro event and then for individual i had to be top 18. so synchro we were we ended up getting fifth so we earned team usa the quota spot for that event and then for individual i got through into the finals which is the top 12 which was awesome and then in the finals i ended up taking second place which is was also amazing so after all that's done now i have olympic trials um i leave here june 2nd they start june 6th and then at olympic trials since we got both individual quota spots at World Cup and the synchro spot. Um, I'll be hoping to make the Olympic team out of that. So I'll have to be top two individually, and then synchro, you have to win the Olympic trials to go. Right. So you, okay. you did all the heavy lifting now for everybody else, right? So basically you reserve the spots for the American team, um, and now somebody else could come in and swipe them. So there is still some pressure, right, for you to, to uh, go in and compete to, to make this team. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of pressure. I mean – the, I always said the hard spot, the hard part is getting the spots. So the hard part is over. I mean, Olympic trials definitely aren't going to be easy. There's a ton of great divers here in the U.S. So I'm going to go into that kind of with a fresh mind, still going to compete like I know how to compete. And 
hopefully be top two in the U.S. I mean, I just got second at World Cup, so that's definitely a confidence booster going into Olympic trials. Yeah, no question about that. And then um, how often and what, what do you do now between now and, and, and June when this uh, when these, I guess it's kind of a two-part event, um, uh, you continue to train? Are you in Minneapolis training or, or where are you? Yes, I'm back in Minneapolis training um, with Wembo, my coach. So I'll be here until June 2nd. I'm hitting the weight room again because I haven't lifted in about a month and a half now. So getting some strength back up, getting a little bit more back into shape, and then just continuing to dive every day and train and get ready for Olympic trials. So you are from Indianapolis, Indiana, and the Olympic trials this year just I don't know if it's coincidence, it must be, are in Indianapolis. So um, how uh, cool is that? And will there be some people uh, with with everything else, will there be people allowed to come and watch uh, with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. I grew up diving in the pool that Olympic Trials is going to be at. I grew up diving there when I was eight years old. So going back to my home pool and being there again, I think that will work to my advantage just because I know that pool. I know the boards. I know what everything looks like. So I already am prepared for everything that's in that pool. You might have to have a lottery system, you know, with your amongst your family members if it gets to the, to the point where you have to do it. You don't draw names from a hat or something. Yeah. I mean, I think my parents definitely deserve it. They've <laughs> supported me through this whole process, basically really financially. So I think if anything, they deserve to be there to see it happen. They, yeah, they get to go, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> let, let me ask you about that. When you um, go all the way back, you said you started diving in this pool back when you were eight years old. Um, how did this start? When did you realize that you had some some potential and some talent as a diver? And, you know, I'm just, as a, as a layperson watching it, as an eight-year-old, I'm trying to think how much courage it would take to go one, try to do some of this stuff. I mean, there's eight-year-olds scared to swim, let alone go out. We're going to do maybe, you know, something simple like a flip to start and then, uh, you know, obviously yeah. into what you are now. So how did that all start? Yeah, so I we belong to a country club pool, and my family would go there basically every day during the summer. And just one day there's a lifeguard there that worked for Stars Diving Club, who which is based out of Indianapolis. And she was there teaching little kids how to do front flips and back flips off the diving board. And I got up there and just did it right away. And she said, told me I had a natural talent for the sport and that I should get started in diving lessons. So, I mean, I kind of held that idea in the back of my head for quite some time. And the fall time came around and I played soccer and my parents were like, oh, like, do you want to get started in an indoor soccer league somewhere? And I was like, no, I want to try diving. And my parents were like, kind of like, diving like where where did you get this idea so then I told them the story about it and they're like all right well we'll find you a club and I knew right away I was like oh stars diving club is the one I want to join so <laughs> they found stars diving club and I got started in lessons and then before I knew it I was talent identified by the national training center and by team USA and it kind of just started the whole journey from there and speaking of journey, how did it end here uh, in Minnesota? What was the draw here and um, how much have you enjoyed your time at the U? Yeah, so when I got invited to join the National Training Center, the coaches at that time actually was Wembo Chen, who is now the college coach here at Minnesota. So he left the National Training Center in 2009, I believe, and came to coach at Minnesota. And I think I was 12 at that time. And I knew from that point on that if I wanted to make the Olympics someday in this sport, that I would need to go back and dive with Wembo. So I basically knew I wanted to come to Minnesota and dive with him from the time I was 12. And I think everyone knew it. And it was just kind of a waiting game to see where I committed. But 
I committed to Minnesota and came here and I've absolutely loved every second of it. Um, me and Wembo's relationship is amazing and I wouldn't want to die for anyone else in my career right now. That's U of M star diver Sarah Bacon and MN sports director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. station.